When you find John 13 in one hand, we'll be going there to uh, 16, as soon as I read one verse here. John 13, 1, the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that, this, that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Uh, the title of this message is going to be The Lord Jesus Christ, the Man of the Hour. Turn over to uh, John 16. Before I read this, let me see if I can... Uh... Brother Travis, would you pray for me? I'd sure appreciate it. Okay, John chapter 16, roll down to about verse 32. <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ talking here, he says, uh, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Chapter 17, 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, I titled this, Lord Jesus Christ, the man of the hour. This is a particular hour in, in, his, uh, in his earthly ministry. And it's amazing how much scripture we have on this little bitty window of time. I'm, I'm, this, the parallel passages are Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 22. I mean, it's a lot. It's, and it's amazing how much Scripture is dedicated to this short time from the, uh, from the Last Supper till He allows them to take Him at the Garden of Gethsemane. So... Uh, you know, I thought I, I struggled with the title at first, and I thought of a, what could we say would be his finest hour? I mean, you, you think about it. Would it be his resurrection? Maybe his return from glory? Or his reign as King of kings and Lord of lords for a thousand years? Or his residence in New Jerusalem? I mean, he's got so many wonders about him that it's never going to end. It's never going to end. But... We're, we're going to look at a particular little time frame, and, and with the, with the, the Bible, it uh, doesn't really tell you 60 minutes in an hour, but they'll have 12 hours in a day. So it depends on the season how long that hour could be, I suppose. It's an interesting study. And uh, so, uh, like I say, this is, uh, we could say it runs from 
uh, right at this moment when he begins to pray till he's taken could possibly be one hour. Um, why, why would I say that? Well, Luke twenty-two fifty-three. as soon as the angry crowd takes him, he says unto the crowd, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they took him. So there's a change right there when he, when he was taken. So it could literally be 60 minutes, one hour. And uh, then again, it could, be, it could be something that runs all the way through the resurrection. I don't know. But just for sake of making it easy, I'll tell you what my outline is ahead of time so that I don't lose you. Now here's why. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a meat and potato kind of guy. And uh, the, the outline would be the man of the hour. It's just got three points. The worthy man, that'd be your appetizer. The wonderful man, that'd be your salad. And the wondrous man, that's going to be the bulk of the message the meat and potatoes. And then I do got some dessert if, if it flies. <laughs> if Lord help me, I do got some dessert. That I, oh, I, I was beside myself writing it out. I get kind of worked up when I t work on notes because I get going and next thing you know my mind's racing and my handwriting gets sloppy and I have to quit. So I had to do this in stages and I had to wait for some of the, uh, some of the other sub points. But I also want you to see in, in what I go through, there's two prayers the Lord Jesus Christ prays right before he allows them to take him in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of them, he, he prays right here, 17.1. Lifts up his eyes into heaven. He's got a real positive prayer, and we'll look at it. And the next one, they cross over the book, the brook, whether you call it Cedron or Kidron, they cross over the brook, and it's a whole different kind of prayer. It's very sad, and it's when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two different prayers separating, separated by that little body of water that they cross over. He goes over with three. And uh, they're just very different. And if you want, the pastor's been mentioning stuff about prayer lately. If you want to learn something about prayer, there's a place to look. You know, when I was a boy, they taught us as Catholics, you know, they said the Lord's Prayer, and they, our Father which art in heaven, they taught us that. And uh, really, that was an example of how you ought to pray. And I use it sometimes when I'm not thinking clear, and I'll just kind of pray similar to that. But if you want to hear the Lord's Prayer, chapter 17 is such a rich prayer. And it's, it's after, he just got 11 with him. Judas is out of the picture. You get the devil out of the way, things start to happen. And... Uh, so let's look at it. The man of the hour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the worthy man. We'll be coming back to this uh, portion of Scripture in 17 here. But, uh, so maybe, Mark, hold your place. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And we see down in verse 9, a little bit, just to warm you up, it says, The beast, give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne, worship him that liveth forever and ever, casting their crowns before him, saying, 
Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. He's worthy for His part in creation, because John 1, 3 says, as Jesus Christ as the Word, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So He's worthy for His part in creation. Now look over in 5, uh, 5, 2. 5.2, Revelation. The angel I saw, a strong angel, proclaim with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the book, to loose the seals thereof? And Jesus Christ, he's the one worthy to open the book. Verse 9, uh, and they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, he's a worthy one to open that book. And that's, that's exactly why right there. Um, you scan down through there and it's just wonderful. And look down there, verse uh, 12 and 13. I mean, we're going to be in this number. Everyone that's ever lived is going to be in this number saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Ooh. He's worthy, isn't he? He's worthy. He's worthy as the lamb because John said there, you know, John said there, John the Baptist, when he introduced him, he said, Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So for all eternity, he's going to be revered as worthy because of that act that he did here on earth. When we're hundreds of thousands of years into the future, he'll always be, it'll always point back to that one event. Isn't that something? He's the only worthy one. There really is. Yet... I find it amazing in Scripture, in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. And in the same chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. There's a song I want to sing uh, when I get Jesse to learn the violin part and get some helpers. It's written by the guy that sings with the primitive quartet, Reagan Riddle. And the title of it is, When the Shepherd Became the Lamb. And it's amazing. You've heard the phrase, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. God did that. He plays all the parts, if you haven't figured it out. You think of a sheepfold, he's the door, he's the shepherd, and yet he becomes a, the lamb of God that takes away the sins. He's the best lamb in the flock. He's the purest, cleanest there has ever been. <laughs> I mean, he's the worthy one. The Lord plays all the parts. <clears throat> He's the only worthy man because he died and rose again for you and me. So that's, that's the appetizer. Now the salad. He's, uh, he's the wonderful man. Back to John 17. John 17. I want you to see some things about his prayer because you and I are in this prayer. You and I are in this prayer. <clears throat> 17 verse... Uh, my goodness, I don't want to read this whole chapter, but it's loaded. Uh, 
let's look at a couple of these things, 6 and 7. I have manifested thy name unto the men, that that which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now have they known that all things whatsoever thou hast are given me, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they received them, and surely know that I came out from thee, and thou didst, uh, they have believed that thou didst sent me. Run down to verse 20. I'll see where we come in. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So, he didn't, so all these things before and after this, he's not just praying for those 11 that are with him. He's praying for anybody that believes on the words that they said. And in this chapter, you've, I mean, this is a prayer. I don't know whether he's walking, standing. See, this is prayed on, on the road there to, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you'll find uh, chapters, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, are all events taking place between that Last Supper and when he goes to pray in that garden in the middle of the night, just a short period of time. And basically what happened is he got rid of the devil, ran Judas Iscariot off, and then he started unloading all these last-minute instructions, all the things about the Holy Spirit and abiding and the mansion in heaven and all that. That's, that's all on the road there as he's getting ready to go across that brook with them three. And he flat loads their wagons. I had an extra here about why Peter and James and John were sleeping in case I ran short. And it's got about 10 things that go on during that time. It's amazing, all the lessons he taught them. But anyway, you can uh, see that this prayer is very upbeat. He's, he's not, he doesn't say he's bowing his head or nothing. He's, he's uh, lifted his eyes to heaven. And I think some of you may have seen, uh, they, they do a painting of a, of the praying Jesus, and they got him looking up into heaven. That's probably where they got that. I don't know of any other scripture where that artist could have got that. I don't think he looks like that German dude in the picture or nothing like that, because he was a Jew. But nonetheless, it inspired that artist, this prayer. Um, he's wonderful because he prays for his own. Anyway, just a little highlight is chapter 6 and 7 and 26. He talks about, uh, I've manifested thy name to him. And then uh, verse 8 and 14, 17 says, I've given him the words. I've given him the words. He's given us his word. We're really blessed. And, uh, and all believers are included. Verse 20 and verse 21 through 23, there's, he talks about unity with God being one. Let's look at 23. I want you to see this, the Father's love for us. I want you to see, I want you to see how powerful it is, how much your Savior loves you, how wonderful he is. It says, uh, talks about him being one as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, Amen. that the world may know that thou hast sent me, watch this, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Amen. You think the Father loves the Son? You would look back there in Proverbs 8 how he was wisdom incarnate and... Uh, and his delights were the sons of men and creation, and, and he just rejoiced in front of his father. There, there was a long-term fellowship of eternity past. He loves his son. 
Well, he loves you that much. As, because you've trusted Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Christ, he loves you that much. And that's uh, 26. It's got some more of that love that God has. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me, that's real strong, isn't it? May be in them and I in them. I told you this morning that fellow at the jail touched my heart. That was a love God put inside of me. That's not natural for human beings. Oh, Dr. Restep used to say, people really don't know how to love till they're saved. I believe that. That, that kind of love comes from God, and it's just not natural. It just doesn't happen. <clears throat> but he's wonderful because he prays for his own. Um, it's interesting, this chapter 17 is not even in the other three gospel accounts. Uh, it's very upbeat, reveals the heart's desire of our Savior. And if you think about it in time, this was probably written about 90 A.D., and the other Gospels were very early. And if you read the other Gospels, they'll take you right from the Last Supper right into the garden, and he's taken. It's amazing. All the, those chapters I mentioned, 14, 15, 16, 17, those things weren't even available for the early church. John's writing this after Paul's already beheaded. And all those wonderful lessons you can learn about abiding in Christ. I'll tell you what, if you're ever in serious problems, when, I, when they told me I had cancer, uh, Dr. Estep, first thing he said, he said, he, he said, read John 15. And I did, and talked about abiding in Christ. And it was a great, it was real comfort, and it can be when you've got a lot of problems going on. Amen. Thinking about that, John 15 and... 14 and 15, things like that. He's a wonderful man. I'm telling you, he's a wonderful Savior. Amen. Things he's done in my life, just, just great. Um, thirdly, he's a wondrous man. When I say man, now I, I hope you realize I'm talking the God-man. God manifests in the flesh. All God, all man in one body. Not just, not just man, but I'm just going by the man of the hour. You've, you've heard the world's term, oh, he's the man of the hour. No, there ain't no man in this world worthy of nothing. I don't care. <laughs> These you folks that get all hung up on football, man, I saw, I looked, took a good look at Aaron Rodgers at Coles the other day on the wall. They got his picture. That dude is getting old. I feel good about my age now. <laughs> if he looks that bad at his age, I'm doing real good at 57 pushing 58. <laughs> Heroes out of zeros, that's what they are. <clears throat> Uh, he's, but the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a wondrous man. And there's a lot of things that happen that take place during the Garden of Gethsemane, through the crucifixion and through the resurrection that man cannot see. I mean, your gospel accounts have four men's views of what's going on. But then if you used to go back in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, you'd see the prophetic views and you'd see God's revealing of what Christ is going to go through and many other scriptures. But there's some wondrous things going on that you're just going to have to take by faith. You're just going to have to believe what's revealed in scripture because you can't see them. And, and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John may not mention them. You have to study to find them. I, I like singing that song, What Wondrous Love Is This? That's a real old song. I sang it here about two or three times. I'll probably do it again because it's precious and nobody else sings it, so I like it. <laughs> but I also like when I survey the wondrous cross. Gary Duty recorded that 
on his last uh, little disc, and he did a different arrangement with him playing a guitar to it. I was listening to it yesterday. It was powerful. The words to that, when I survey the wondrous cross, when you look at those, listen to those words and think about them, man, it'll take you somewhere. It'll, it'll do something for you. I really pray some of this will do something for you. Fix your heart where you love him more. <clears throat> He's a wondrous man, I tell you. Uh, like I said, you're going to have to believe some of these things by faith. Now, I got, I got a few things I want to look at here. First of all, uh, John 18, 1 and 2. Well, this prayer is different. John 18, 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, chapter 17, that prayer, he went forth with his, with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Uh, we're going to turn back to uh, Mark 14 and look at a few verses. Mark 14. It's a little heavy on scripture, so if you uh, bear with me, I'd rather, rather cut this piece of meat up in little pieces so you don't choke on it. It's kind of meaty. But, uh, and I'll say this. If you think I'm throwing you a bone, just kind of lay it aside so that you can still get a blessing out of the rest of the message. And then study that thing out and come see me. We'll see. Because I, I really did. I prayed quite a bit. Because of the character I'm representing here, the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg God to not let me misrepresent him or teach something wrong. And, and he actually gave me something the other morning, corrected me, that I am so thankful for. I'll tell you about it when I get to it. But I want to look at his approach to this place of prayer. Mark 14, uh, 32, 1432 of Mark. It says... And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Now, verse 35, this is the only place that connects uh, the cup with the hour. All the other passages just talk about the cup, the cup, the cup. He talks about that cup two or three times. This hour is connected with this cup. And uh, he's got a weight on him. Because look how it says he went forward a little and fell on the ground. This is a very heavy prayer. And maybe I'll hit a couple verses to show you how heavy it is in a little bit. But it's a very heavy prayer. And what was this weight all about? Well, 1 Peter 2, 24. Don't turn now. I'll read it to you. The Bible says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And this, this is Peter quoting out of Isaiah 53. And here's another one out of Isaiah 53. All, you know these verses. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath, watch this, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Another place it says, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So he's very heavy. Um, 
see if I can spot the spot. It's, it's, I'll tell you what's been difficult. I, laid all, I looked at all four of these accounts and laid them out and took notes on them, marked them, and it's, it's just, you, you almost got to study them together to see how they all fit. But uh, when he, he was, ex it says there in 34, he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. I mean, he's very heavy. There it is, 33. Wow. He taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and very heavy. Why would God be amazed at anything? You think it was to, because he was going to the cross? No. He told him, I'm going up Jerusalem to die. You think it was because of, he was afraid of what men were going to do to him? Nope. He's facing something with his cup that is amazing to God, something contrary to his nature. And uh, as he approaches his place of prayer, he's very heavy. The bottom line is our sins are being placed on him at this point in time. And he's about to carry something to the cross and have it nailed there that's very heavy and contrary to the nature of God. And then my question is, in our lifetimes, how much weight did we add? Amen. How much weight did you and I add to the Savior? It was very heavy. It was very heavy. Yet he carried it all the way, like I said, nailed it to his cross, and ultimately will dump it off in hell. And... Uh, he approaches this place with a lot of weight, something very contrary to the nature of God. We'll get into that cup here in a second. <clears throat> Secondly, I want to look at his acceptance in prayer to the Father's will. And uh, we're at 1435. I'll stay there, but I'm going to turn back also to Mark 26 verse 42 and read you that. I'm sorry, Matthew 26:42. Matthew 26:42. We go. We read there in Mark 14 and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that this hour might pass from him and he said, "Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless not what I will, but what thou wilt. And then uh, 2642, he says, it says, and he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup may pass, may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Notice how he accepts his father's will. He realizes this cup isn't going to go away. I'm going to have to drink from it. And... Uh, I'm going to quote you out of John 18:11, just to kind of bring in the, some things about this cup. Then said Jesus unto Peter, after he cut off Malchus's ear, "Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it?" So he obviously picks this cup up. He gets this cup. You can't see it. We don't know, you know, what it would look like. But I, I'll tell you, it shows up in Psalm 75:8. If you want to turn back to Psalm 75, 8 and see what it is. Psalm 
this is something God the Father gave to God the Son. And the interesting thing is, he tells him in the prayer right before he crossed over that brook that, hey, the Father's with me. Something's going on here. Psalm 75, verse 8. The Bible says, uh, for, God in the, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he pours out of the same. But the dregs are of all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. It's, it's the cup of wrath on sin is what it is. Revelation 14.10 says, concerning those people that worship the beast and the image and the, receive his mark during the tribulation, the Bible says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Here's what it is. During the church age, this period of grace that we live, mankind keeps sinning and sinning and sinning, and it just keeps filling up that cup, filling up that cup. God said he reserved his wrath into the day of wrath. But here in the garden, Jesus Christ takes that cup, and he knows he's going to have to taste of it. When he goes through all those things leading up to his crucifixion, that's a taste of the wrath of God. This is something contrary to the very nature of God. It's an amazing thing. Like I said earlier, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. God did it himself. Okay, we've looked at uh, a couple things about uh, his prayer. Lastly, I want to look at this thing here. His, his, uh, his ascent from prayer, Luke 22. Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 42. I want you to see a couple things. This is the account Luke had. you got to realize Matthew, Mark, and Luke, none of them guys were there. John was there. So all the information they have, they got from John and the Holy Ghost. Verse 41, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if... It, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And he being in agony, prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Verse 45, and when he rose up from prayer, he was come to his disciples, found them sleeping for sorrow. He rose up for prayer. I want to look at his uh, ascent from his prayer. Notice how different this prayer is from the one on the other side of the brook when he was with the 11. Uh, very different. We've got, a, we've got a phrase in the world, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You know what comes from this passage? This very passage right here. Look at verse 44. This is what the Lord dealt with me about. <clears throat> it says his sweat was as it were, Great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now somewhere, I've been saved, I don't know, 34, 35 years. Somewhere along the line, I never could grasp him bleeding. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, it, it meant that his blood was, his sweat was coming out as if you stuck him and if he was bleeding. And the Lord woke me up Friday morning and corrected me on that with those two words. I wasn't reading no Bible. I hadn't read this passage. And he said, as it were. It were great drops of blood, brethren. It were. 
And I, sure enough, I looked in one of these modern versions, and they all say, oh, it was like drops of blood. It was like, like. You know, like is a whole lot different than as it were. If that word, if it were wasn't in there, you could probably say, well, sweat was like. No, it were blood. I don't think anybody's ever prayed like that, the blood come out of their body. Dr. Ruckman says in his commentary that this is when the atonement begins. And, uh, you know, I read that a week or two back, and I just took it with grain of salt, and I said, I've never been sure about the thing. I'm sure about it now. I wrote it in my Bible, and I put the date, because the Lord woke me up and corrected me on it. And I was thankful, because it meant he answered my prayer, because I didn't want to misrepresent him. He prayed blood, sweat, and tears, literally. And uh, I want you to notice also that the angel strengthens him either before or while he's going through the whole event. It's an angel strengthening him. This is your creator face-to-face with something totally contrary to his nature. He's holy. And uh, he rises with the weight of the sins of all mankind and a cup. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, can you imagine that? He's on his face praying. This is your creator now. And, he's, and all the sins of mankind are put on his shoulders. And he rises up. That's a heavy load. That's, you talk about the champion of all time. Can you see that? That's a, that's, he's the champion of all, all, all time. He's a wondrous man. He's the man of the hour because of that act right there. We looked at his approach to the place of prayer. We looked at his acceptance in prayer to the Father's will. And we looked at the act, his ascent from prayer. And uh, I'll just read it again. So It were great drops of blood, verse 44, falling down to the ground. And when he arose from the prayer, he was come to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye rise and pray, lest ye enter in temptation? Yet while he spake, behold, a multitude. He that was called Judas, one of the twelve, came before them, drew near to kiss him. We're going to look at his betrayal in a minute, but... uh, I got a little short thing here on why was Peter, James, and John sleeping? Maybe you got, maybe this will help you get it into context. Just a, sh- a few short hours was the la- before this was the Last Supper. I mean, they had to go, go find out where it was going to be, set up for it. And this meeting turned into an all-nighter. During that period of time, you combine all these, thing- these things together that are written in these four accounts. They have the supper. They have the bread and the cup. They have the lesson of Jesus washing their feet. They have the issue of one of them being a devil. Judas is sent on his way. The strife of who will be the greatest comes up. They sing a hymn and head out to the Mount of Olives. While Jesus tells them plainly about many things uh, since Judas is gone. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. You got the lessons on abiding, prepared place with mansion, the Holy Spirit, his ministry, Uh, love and fellowship, oneness with God, sorrow. He tells them, if you don't got a sword, go get one. And he prays for them, very positive, John chapter 18. And then he takes three of the 11, crosses a brook. His heaviness begins and he prays in agony. 
and they fall asleep. Wouldn't you? They're completely overwhelmed. They're, these three men are emotional wrecks. And if you take the rest of the scriptures and look back just a few more chapters in John, the last five or six days have been like a whirlwind tour for them. It's like the Lord Jesus Christ, crunch time, got to get all this stuff together so the timing comes out just right. And he held back a lot of things till right before uh, he left to be crucified. That, that's, a, that's what happened there. Let's see what else I've got to look at here. Turn back to John chapter 18. I want you to see this. John chapter 18. When you get there, I want you to look at verse 3. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now try to get this in your mind. Try to put yourself there. It's dark. It's the middle of the night. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now, I want you to realize this, this, is, this is your Savior, like I mentioned, just getting up with all the weight of the world on him and their sins in this cup, all, these unseen, all this unseen baggage. And he comes forth, Whom seek ye? And uh, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. And, the, and he asked him again, Whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you I am he. Can you, can you picture this scene uh, during this betrayal? I mean, the devil's got a smile on his face. He's been entered into the Judas Iscariot. And he gives him the kiss of death. And uh, he reveals Jesus to the, to the enemies, to this angry uh, mob of men that came to take him. And all he does is speak three words, I am he. And they all fall down. I mean, it's such power with all that baggage on him. Um, what, could you imagine for a minute what the scene was like in heaven? Wonder what was going on with the angels. I don't know if angels have emotions like we do. I never really studied them, but I can imagine it was really quiet in heaven while this was going on. I imagine uh, all eyes of angels was looking on what was going on in that Garden of Gethsemane and the deal with his cup that they knew God had, the Father. And uh, I, I can imagine it was very quiet. I can imagine maybe them angels had their hands on their mouth. You know, difficult to look at. I can imagine that those cherubims, that it was probably very quiet in heaven and all you could hear was a low, holy Holy, holy. And then he says, I am he, and they all fall down. I can see them angels going. <laughs> and I can see God the Father said, yeah, get him, son. And I can see those, uh, those cherubims, holy, holy. <laughs> I mean, they, they were enjoying seeing. You know, God showed them who's boss there, didn't he? Amen. He really made it clear. He really made it clear. 
Think about it. They fall like dominoes. Uh, they look like the Keystone cops trying to get up. I mean, you got, you got uh, a multitude of torches and lanterns and weapons and swords and spears, men all piled up. You know, what a mess. What a mess. They just look terrible. And it, could you imagine some of the conversation, the guys in the rear? What was that? Or, or uh, a, a guy, you know, said, well, I thought it was strange we had this big multitude just to take one man, but I guess we kind of underestimated the situation here. Uh, you know, Malchus, he went, goes from screaming to saying, he put my ear on, he put my ear on, he put my ear on. Because <laughs> he knew it got cut off. And he was probably screaming his head off. And he's he probably checking it out. He was dumbfounded. I imagine he, he didn't know what to say. Uh, anyway, he allows them to get it all together. And then he says, I told you I'm he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. And there's 11 forsake him. And he allows himself to be taken. The Lord Jesus Christ is the man of the hour. And he leaves this scene, this little hour in time that I want you to see to fulfill more scripture. Then you have his trial and the death, burial, and resurrection. Like I say, I, I don't know what I would call his finest hour. I, I couldn't choose it. But I want you to see, he's the man of the hour for this little window here. And I want you to see this and think about it. How much weight did you and I add to that load that he carried? I hope this will stick in your crawl and make you want to love him more, worship him more, appreciate him more. Man, this world is wrapping up quick. If you can keep your mind off it on things like this, it was a great joy to plow through and study some of this. It was a challenge to put it together because there's so much material to look at and consider and to think about. And maybe you'll think of some other things you can tell me about later that, that I, I can enjoy. I find it very refreshing to read about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I always slow down when I read these parts about the crucifixion and what he went through. Enjoyed your songs tonight, ladies. They fit real well with this. And uh, I hope you'll just thank him for what he did. Thank him for how he carried your sin and got rid of it, Amen. made you clean. That's what I have for you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man of the hour. Songbook. Good message. Uh, you can't ever beat talking about Jesus. And as he's going through that thing, there's about three things he said, 452, I believe. About three things he said that, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff he said, but there's about a couple things.